Hello, and welcome to Books, the podcast, the only podcast about books. I'm Tim. I'm Tom. And we're booksmen. Mm -hmm. And this week we're crawling through the dang vents. Yeah. Booksmen, go to the movies. We're cutting up our feet on some broken glass and then kicking the window and getting the blood all over the window. Uh, Tim, this week you watched Die Hard, and I've got a little surprise for you. I also watched Die Hard. Nice. I watched it last night. Me too. Maybe we were watching it at the same time. Maybe Maybe we were. An American Tale style. We were looking at the same movie. We (laughs) were watching the same movie. Somewhere out there. Beneath the blood red sky. I don't know the words. I think it's clear blue sky. (laughs) It's a children's movie, Tim. It's animated. The sky could be blood red on Uh, a nice day. I wonder how Five Goes West holds up. Badly, I bet. That's a movie I haven't seen since I was a child. But I remember as a kid loving it, thinking it was great. That's what I don't understand about, like, um, an American Tale was yeah. probably... That's what I'm thinking that of, American really Tale well. and then Five Goes West. Five Goes West was the sequel. Yes. And it seems like filmmakers who made good kind of original movies in the 80s mm-hmm. were always like, all right, the sequel's going to be a Western, though, because I love <laughs> Westerns. And like, it's just like, nobody wants to see these characters in a Western setting. I know you liked Westerns when you were a kid, but like, it's the 80s, man. It's the go-go 80s. Nobody cares about this stuff People anymore. People cared about Westerns in the 80s, Tim. That's why Back to the Future Part 3 was such a big movie. No, that movie sucked. You sucked. It's a good movie. Do you really think cl- Back to the Future 3 classic is? classic Western where do you think it falls in... How do you rate the Back to the Future films? I don't, Tim. I view them as one story told over three films. Do you really? No. I mean, I think I like Back to the Future Part 2 the most, Part 1 the second most, and Part 3 the third most. I, I like 1 better than 2. I, I, here's how I rank them. 1, 2, 3. <laughs> well, that makes sense, too. I think uh, just... Much like The Count would on Sesame Street. Yeah. I mean, the Back to the Future 1's a better movie than 2, but mm-hmm. I just loved 2's view of the future of 2015. It was bad. What do you mean it was bad? It was a goddamn hellhole. Oh, yeah, but I really like the way it was portrayed. You just like the uh, dehydrated pizza. I like dehydrated pizza. I like power laces. I like self-drying jackets. I liked hoverboards. Like yeah, I like the jits. Uh, when you know he sends faxes to fire people. Yeah, and the faxes come out freaking everywhere. Even the toilet. I think what they did now mm-hmm. about the future, about the, and like, here's the thing. I don't like when people are like, oh, they got it wrong. Because it's like, they weren't trying to accurately predict the future. They no, picked yeah, an arbitrary the, year, and they were just trying to do, like, fun future stuff. They yeah, weren't the, like, the best port- this is exactly what it's going to look like. And if we're wrong, like, you guys should shame us on the internet. <laughs> the, the best, you know, uh, you're never going to get things right. So, like, the best way to portray the future is, what if everything right now is just taken to its logical end. Yeah. 
And I thought it was, uh, I think the prescient thing, or the prescient thing. Mm -hmm. How do you say that? Prescient or prescient? Uh, I say it both ways, depending on the company I'm in. Yeah. um, Highbrow or lowbrow. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that they, they did nail the, like, there's just information overload coming yeah. in like that like the tv he was watching multiple things on the tv when somebody sends you a fax it comes in through five different places yeah. shooting out paper tom when you facetimed well, me to do this to, <laughs> to record this episode <laughs> my phone my ipad my computer were all just going nuts and your, it's like, your, oh, this your is- toilet computer Exactly. This is no, much like when, like, when the uh, Jits was trying to fire Marty McFly. <laughs> uh, and when they're all eating dinner as a family, like the two teenagers are on their headsets like the whole time. And it's like, yeah, we don't have headsets yet, but everybody knows that's inevitable. But for the time and being, it's the same, every, it's the everybody's same as on their being phone. on your phone. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I didn't like that. You know what? I, I watched Back to the Future to um a little bit before the election mm-hmm. uh the presidential election and so tensions were high and like there is a very much there's very much like a trump element to that movie where yeah, like well they said that they base future biff on partially on trump the villain of the movie, one of the most successful movies of our generation. <laughs> yeah, the main mo- villain was the guy widely that loved. thirty years later became the president. Um, in in the year that uh, that that movie, well, uh, well, close to it, one year off. Um, but uh, and I think my like that was the first time I seriously watched that movie since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I feel like uh, I I couldn't accurately judge it. Because like I was just like they got to defeat that guy. <laughs> that guy's so bad. <laughs> like let's stop dilly dallying. This guy isn't fun. It's, he stole uh, the gray sucks. sports almanac. Yeah, exactly. Gotta get that. Imagine Trump became president because he like stole an almanac. That was that was his origin story. Maybe maybe it's something along those lines. Tom, I watched Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Do you want to get into that yet? Or yeah, no? sure. Let's get into it. Okay. I also when watched When was the Die last Hard. time you saw Die Hard? I don't know. Um, and certainly, I don't know if I'd ever really watched Die Hard front to back. Um, and I have a lot of movies that I really like that I feel that, that that's happened just because they're movies that are on all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know, I'm never too far removed from having seen half of Die Hard on TV randomly. So it's been certainly a very long time since I've been like, all right, let me sit down and watch this from beginning to end. Um, maybe maybe even ever. It's one of those movies, too, where like it would be on TV when I was a kid and, you know, I'd be able to like watch it for a little while, but then like somebody would say a curse or there'd be nudity or like extreme violence. And then the channel would get changed. <laughs> like, right. all right. Yeah. I forgot this movie has all this. Okay. We're not going to watch this anymore. Right. Um, I was watching with my wife last night. Um, and she was like, 
oh, I'm excited for you to see this movie. And I was like, you've seen this movie? And she's like, yeah, I've got a lot of it on TV. And like halfway through the movie, she was like, I've, I've never seen this movie. I thought I assumed I did. Um, and me, I was just like going into it. It's like, it's so much in the culture and so pervasive that I was like, I'm going to start watching this thing and I'm going to realize that like, I've seen a lot of this. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, but no, Tom, I, I watched this movie. I don't think I've seen more than five seconds of this movie. Like him crawling through the air duct uh-huh. is like pretty much the only thing i've ever seen from this movie yeah i mean it's also one of those movies that's like so widely parodied and referenced in things like i was thinking about uh how they they reference it in uh it's always sunny in philadelphia (laughs) where like frank has the gun taped to his back and they falls off the roof uh yeah it's just one of those i don't know one of those things that's yeah so popular that I feel like a lot of people haven't actually sat down and watched it. Right. Um, I'm glad that I watched it. Um, mm-hmm. Tom in my movie book, um, where I rate all movies on a letter grade scale, mm-hmm. A, A minus, B yeah, plus, I know B. What I, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, do you want to guess what I put? What I gave it in my in my movie book? I'm gonna say a B plus. Close. I was considering a B plus. Oh, I might have actually given it a B. It was, I was, I was caught between a B plus and a B because I thought it was just a little too long. Yeah, it's two hours and fourteen minutes long. Yeah, I was surprised when I went to put it on last night. Uh, like right before I started it, uh, uh, I watched it with my girlfriend, and she was like, "Ooh, it's like over two hours long." And I was like, "Yeah." Jeez, I guess it is. I assume this was like a 90-minute tight movie. It takes place in one location. Yeah, I always thought that like pre-1990 yeah. movies were either like um, like Ben-Hur, which I assume <laughs> is like four hours long, right. or like Dances with Wolves, which and, is and like had four in- hours long. had intermissions. Yeah, or a tight 90 minutes, or like right. 88 minutes tops. Yeah. Um but uh this was this was longer than I expected and like and then I was like eh but like I'm sure it's such a tight perfect script that like it'll just fly by it'll mm-hmm. it'll seem like it's it's 90 minutes but no I feel like there was particularly towards the end it got a little bloated and it got a little fat. Yeah, there there are a few things that happen that kind of don't have to happen, I think. That yeah. that can be cut without any uh, detriment to the to the story or or action, like you know, non action pieces. Um, but so we'll, yeah, we'll what talk would you about ra- those as as we go along, I guess. Yeah, what would you rate this? Um, I, I know we should probably do this at the end, but I'm I'm flipping the script. Yeah, uh, uh, I was I w- between I would a B say, and a B plus. I would say same B B plus, like a, a yeah. an extremely solid movie. Yeah, oh, definitely, and I would I would watch it again. Would watch again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Bruce Willis, I thought was great in it. Uh, very charming in it. Um, I think that I remember like this movie got a lot of, uh, hype at the time for kind of bucking the trend of Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, led action movies where it's like, nah, Bruce Willis is like an everyman. 
Um, I, I mean, I guess compared to a movie like Commando or Rambo, he is, but he definitely is still more superhuman than uh, uh, Joe Leland is in Nothing Lasts Forever. Yeah, exactly. Like and that, that's, Joe Leland, towards the end of it, is thinking about how he's going to be in the hospital for weeks <laughs> and how he's going to have permanent injuries because of the actions he took that night. And by the end of uh, Die Hard, you know, he's been shot multiple times and stuff. And he's just like, oh, I need a beer. Yeah. And at the end, he just gets in a limo and drives off. <laughs> right. Doesn't like, go, doesn't well, go to the hospital or medical, anything. Medical attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we're at a, di- or I'm certainly at a disadvantage um, seeing this because this kind of set the tone for a lot of movies. Right. So like yeah. at the time, you're right, in the context. It was like. Compared to Commando, he's not a superhuman, but compared to, like, the protagonists in, like, Green Room, where it's just a bunch of, like, you know, uh, you know, weak millennials or right. whatever in a punk band, mm-hmm. like, uh, the, he's not an everyman. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, uh, one thing that uh, Nothing Lasts Forever uh, tried to really hammer home is it is difficult to kill a human being both physically and mentally. <laughs> right. Uh, which Die Hard kind of does away with, where he he doesn't have any remorse over the people he kills. Um, he doesn't really struggle physically killing anyone. Like, there are a few, like, fights for the gun or the knife or whatever. Uh, but once he has that, he's able to pretty easily kill that person. Whereas uh, that doesn't happen in uh, in Nothing Lasts Forever. There are instances where, um, you know, somebody's been mortally wounded, but they're still fighting back and right. he's still in danger. Um, all right, Tom, I will say this. Mm-hmm. Um, the one way that uh, Bruce Willis, what's his name in this movie? Die Hard? Uh, John McClane. John John McClane mm-hmm. um, is different from Joe Leland. He's uh, in the very beginning. He's afraid of flying. Yeah, was right. And Joe, and Joe Leland, Leland would never be. Nah, he is a World War II fighter pilot. Yeah, so uh, John McClane afraid of flying, but not uh, feeling any remorse for killing multiple people. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but that Joe is... Leland, not afraid, but, uh, does not want to murder people for no reason. Yeah. But that is, you know, at the time that was a thing, like you wouldn't have a scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger, unless it was an Arnold Schwarzenegger comedy, comedy vehicle where he was shown having any kind of weakness like that. Yeah. I don't even know. Why do you think they did show that? Um, I think to just kind of like set him up as, as, you know, like a normal human being. Yeah. Is it I, like literally like a, a save the cat situation where it's like all you need to do within the first 10 pages of your screenplay to let somebody, to let the audience know that this person is, that the protagonist is a good person is literally have him save a cat or do something. And then anything he does after that. 
Yeah. It doesn't matter because he's defined. You know he's a good guy, and you will always have that first impression of him doing that, right? Like, yeah, like he's I, not an everyman. He's very much not an everyman right. for the, the rest of the movie, but having him afraid of flying, like, just, like, tricks everybody's brain. To yeah, it, like, immediate, yeah it immediately sets up the idea that he's not an action hero because he has... He has a fear that many people watching this film would go, wow, what a pussy. I don't, I'm not that afraid yeah. of flying. Yeah. Even that guy next to him was like, what are you afraid of flying? Yeah. So I should yeah. kick your ass. <laughs> uh, did you notice when he's deplaning that he kind of like winks at the flight attendant? Yep. But not, not a make out. But I thought that not, was an- not too pussy. Like I'm going to meet you in San Diego in a couple days. <laughs> right. But I thought that was a nice little nod to uh, book readers of like, y'all know, yeah. th- hey, this is Kathy Logan, but you know we're in a we're in a, a multiverse here, and this is a different way the story plays out. He's also a dang horn dog in in the movie, whereas yeah. he's not really in the book. He's a like, little he bit fell of a in love dog. With, he fell in love with that flight. Like he made out with the flight attendant, and he's like, and I want to go meet her and spend the rest of my life with her and bruce willis is like there's a lady running through the the airport and he's just like los angeles man i think that makes him more of a horn dog than like falling in love with it that makes joe Joe leland yeah yeah joe leland's a hopeless romantic more of a uh, of a of a horn dog than than Joe Leland. Right. Well, I think in 80s, in the first five minutes of an 80s action movie, if you're going to set up that the guy has fears, you also have to be like, but hey, don't get the wrong idea. He's straight. He's straight as an arrow. <laughs> Tom, mm-hmm. um, can I tell you what I love about this movie? Sure. They do exposition so entertainingly and yeah. so wonderfully um who is the limo driver argyle argyle my favorite character in the movie <laughs> yeah i suspect probably yours as well <laughs> yeah he's a lot of fun it's his, like, it's his first night driving a limo yeah exactly um which is weird but he used <laughs> to drive a cab and so he's chatty right and uh, you learn a lot uh, about john mcclain from his uh, from his chats mm-hmm. uh um, you learn a lot about uh, his relationship with his uh, wife, right. John McLean. Yeah, because the they... freaking touch screen in the in the. But yeah. seriously, like, yeah, they do like, a oh, good job screen. setting up like this tricky situation of him being separated and not wa- wanting to get back with his wife, but not really knowing how to do that. Uh, especially because that would mean him moving to LA, which he doesn't want to do. Right. Um, so yeah, they do a very good job in the beginning setting up like, wait, what's the situation? Oh, his wife has been in LA for six months now. She got a really good job and he wouldn't leave New York. And this is just amped. The problems that they were already having with their marriage, this has brought them to the breaking point. Yeah. And then the whole thing with the touchscreen where he looks up there, he's like, type in 
your wife's last name. Yeah. And then he types it in, she's not there, and then he types in her maiden name and it's there. Yeah. Like that tells you everything you need to know. Right. Well, um, and his and his uh you know, facial response to that of like <sighs> Yeah. Um, so you know the stakes before you even set eyes on Bonnie Bedelia, his wife. Tom, do you know about Bonnie Bedelia? <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, that's not his wife's name in the movie. That's uh, She plays Holly Gennaro McLean in the yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Bonnie Bedelia is the sister of a man named Kit Culkin. Okay. Kit Culkin is the horrible father of Macaulay oh. Culkin. Really? So that's Macaulay Culkin's aunt? Yeah, exactly. Huh. Now, can I tell you something? Can I make a brief detour into a movie that I watched (laughs) the night before I watched Die Hard? Sure. The movie The Good Son. (laughs) You watched that the night before Die Hard? Yeah. And guess what? Guess what I gave that in my movie book? What? Guess guess the letter. A plus. C minus, my friend. That movie sucked shit. Yeah, I can't imagine that movie aged well. And can I tell you what happened with that movie? Uh, sure. And this, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm making you let me tell you this mm-hmm. uh, is because Bonnie Bedelia is uh, the the sister of 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 Kit and Culkin, that, and that's the actress's name. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Her name is Bonnie Bedelia Culkin, actually. Um, which is so crazy, right? Yeah. You, you know, the lady from Die Hard is the aunt of the, the kid from Home Alone. Imagine so anyway, if they had a crossover between those two movies. Yeah. Ooh. ooh. I've, I'm sure that's been done in sketch comedy somewhere, right? Yeah, probably. And the, and the th- Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme song <laughs> factors into it at some point. Yeah, because, I mean, they're 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 actually, like, fairly similar movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, Macaulay Culkin... Mm-hmm. Star of Home Alone. Yes. Kit Culkin, shitty stage dad, failed right. actor himself. Mm-hmm. His sister apparently had some success a couple years uh, earlier, so he's probably jealous of that. And he's right. like, oh, my kids. Always trying to get his kids. Like, they got, um, who played Fuller? Um, uh, that was Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin. Yeah. So, like, always trying to get all of his kids into movies. Right, yeah. So... Um, Home Alone, big success. Yeah, and uh, Macaulay Culkin on top of the world. Mm-hmm. Kit Culkin is like, all right. Um, I've read this script for um the Good Son. I want to. Sh- I want Macaulay to be able to show his range mm-hmm. and play a villain. And they're like, yeah, sorry, we got that cast already. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kid that they cast for it wound up to be the love interest in in Bring It On, another one of my favorite movies. Wow, you know, all right. That, I forget what that guy's name is. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And Kit Culkin was like, oh, that's a shame. Because um, uh, Macaulay Culkin's not going to do Home Alone 2 unless he also gets the lead in The Good Son. Oh, and it, it was point, the same studio? or Yeah, it was the same uh, studio. Okay. Um, it's Fox. And... Uh, Fox was like, all right, well, we've already built the sets. We've cast this whole movie. We're starting to to film in a month. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's when Home Alone 2 is started. And Kit Culkin's like, we'll delay it because he's not doing Home Alone 2 unless unless he gets the lead in The Good Son. So they're like, mm-hmm. fine. Film Home Alone 2. 
Mary Steenburgen was supposed to be in The Good Son. Oh, okay. But it got delayed, and so she couldn't do it because of scheduling. Uh-huh. They fired this the the kid from the the lead actor from The Good Son. Right. They they start filming a little bit into the filming. They're like, uh, Kit Culkin comes in. And he's like, the younger sister isn't working. You're gonna have to ca- uh, cast my daughter as Macaulay Culkin's <laughs> uh, sister in this in this film. So they fire this this child actress and hire yeah. Macaulay Culkin's sister. The director uh, can't work because Kit Culkin's all over his fucking ass. Yeah. So he the director quits. They had to get a new director in. And that movie sucks. It's it's very clearly like cut and pasted together from like multiple directors. You could huh. tell like. They had to recast people at the last minute because of scheduling shit. He ruined The Good Son. The Good Son could have been a really cool movie. And Macaulay Culkin sucks in The Good Son. Yeah, and I was just thinking, like, that movie didn't do any favors to his career. No. Like, it didn't uh, widen his range. And also, like, I don't know, when you're a 10-year-old, you don't need to have a huge range. <laughs> no, they should have done 10 movies in four years yeah. and retired and... Never, nobody ever would have heard from him again. Well, it's not like, I mean, did did his dad think like he's going to do the Good Son and win an Oscar from that, and then that's going to be, and that would show that would show everybody. Yeah, said that but he it's would like never amount to anything. I don't know. The kid was good at comedy. Have him be in a bunch of comedies before he, yeah, you know, starts going through puberty and nobody wants to look at him anymore because he's weird. Yeah. He's going to turn 13 and his career's going to be over. Yeah. Cool it. Anyway, so that was that was my uh that's my good son detour. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that somehow uh uh Amelia Bedelia uh wound up being in those movies. Bonnie Bedelia. Bonnie Bedelia. Okay. No, uh, here's the thing. I was reading all about the good son and I was like, "Man, Kit Culkin sucks. And then yeah. I, I looked up Kit Culkin. It's like he's the he's the brother of Bonnie Bedelia. It's like I've heard that name. I don't know. And then the very next day, I turned on <laughs> Die Hard and like her name came on the screen. I was like, her brother ruined the Good Son. And my <laughs> wife just didn't care at all. Uh, she does a good job in this movie, I think. She does. I, I think that eighties hair doesn't um do, do any actresses any favors. It looks like they just got out of the shower. Yeah, it's always a weird thing whenever they show uh women with that hair in eighties movies because it's always like, Wow, look at this beautiful woman and it's like I'm sure that is a beautiful woman, but I'm very distracted by just that huge weird hairdo. Yeah, and it's like kind of wet, but not. Yeah. It's like not all the way dry, but it's not wet. Yeah, um, and it, it looks like it takes a long time to do. But like, why? <laughs> but why did you do that? Yeah, it looks like it needs upkeep throughout the day. Yeah, I don't know. Tom Reginald Vell Johnson, mm-hmm. <clears throat> a great force in this movie. Yes, I love. The relationship between him and John McClane. Yes, the two of them. You know, you know, he's the only trading one that believes barbs. in John. Mc- yeah, exactly. They're not even trading barbs. They they become legit Tr- trading friends. wisecracks. Wisecracks, and then they start trading just genuine information. Like, 
information and then it turns into genuine sentiment. Yeah. Well, like, that, that happens them... in the book. Like Al tells him, I love you before like John, uh, you know, risks his life. Yeah. I, I was very glad to be reminded watching the movie again that they br- they brought that relationship over uh, and kept it intact from the movie or from the book, mm-hmm. rather. Uh, yeah. And then I, I also remarked at the end how like when he's stumbling out and like he's there with his wife and him and his wife have reunited, like he sees Al Powell through the crowd and like time stops <laughs> And like they come together and have like a huge embrace. And it's like, oh, they didn't have that happen with him and his wife, but they had that happen between these two because they're brothers now. They've gone through this extraordinary, uh, you know, life changing event together. Exactly. And then the terrorist comes out and starts shooting wildly. And uh, Reginald Bill Johnson shoots him dead. Yeah. And then there's no follow-up. Like, some cops, like, are milling around and walk in. <laughs> yeah. And, like, he's free. And they they just, like, pick up their conversation from where they had it earlier. Yeah. And, I mean, they did a good job setting that up in the movie where they set up earlier that... Um, I feel like they didn't do a good job explaining it in the movie as they did in the book. The, the idea that it's Christmas Eve. There are very few cops working tonight. And that mm-hmm. you find out in the movie, Reginald Vell Johnson's Al Powell is um, uh, a desk jockey. Like he's he doesn't patrol, um, but they're so short staffed that he's being being forced to be out on patrol. And you find out later that uh, the reason why he works at a desk is because he accidentally killed a kid, shot a kid. I don't think they said he killed him, but he shot a kid. And ever since then, he hasn't been able to pull his gun. So then that makes That's it... in the book, you said? No, it's not in the book. Okay, it's not in the book. I thought it was, it was interesting that law enforcement mm-hmm. in this movie... There's John McClane, who's like kind of going rogue. Right. Um, there's Al, mm-hmm. uh, Reginald Ville Johnson. Yeah. And there's, you know... Dwayne T. Robinson. Yeah, the chief, right? Mm-hmm. Who's a real piece of shit. The FBI, and they're all just like <laughs> dick swinging assholes that right. come in, right? And the only sympathetic law enforcement officer portrayed, like positively in this yeah. movie, is a guy that shot a kid. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but he feels. And like, part of me is like. Oh, this is cool. Like it's it's nice to see that they're like, oh yeah, law enforcement comes in and like they're they're a little too aggressive and, and yeah. you know they're 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 you know working against themselves by by right. being well, so arrogant. Right. Well, and and, and John like, yells, "I'm at- the good guy." And guess what? I shot a kid one time for no good reason. Well, but he. Uh, he obviously is like living with that guilt that it was a genuine accident that he, he... yeah, but I would love for him to be living like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I like oh, yeah. Al in this movie. I'd love to, for him to be living in a jail cell. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, we don't get very many details on like what happened. Was it like, yeah, did he, did he shoot a kid because he thought the kid was somebody else? He thought the kid had a weapon. Did he try and shoot somebody else and he missed and hit a kid? 
Like, we don't really know. Yeah. But he does have uh, remorse for it and, like, a tremendous amount of guilt to the point where he, you know, doesn't ever want to use his gun again. Right. And he gets, uh, you know, uh, redeemed in the end by killing a terrorist. By, by using cool. his gun. Yeah. Um, but, Tom, can I run something by you? About- sure. So... You got Reginald Bill Johnson, he mm-hmm. of Family Matters, a spinoff of Perfect Strangers. Yes. Do you which, think... which had not happened yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, but he played a cop on Perfect Strangers, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, mostly Family Matters. Right. right. Like, he, he did appear he did. on Family Matters, on, on Perfect Strangers as a cameo, I think, after right. Family not, Matters Right, not started. before. Do you think this movie would have benefited if instead <laughs> of Alan Rickman... They cast Bronson Pinchot as uh, the main terrorist. You know what? I think it would have been confusing because around this time, Bronson Pinchot was in Beverly Hills Cop. Right. Playing comic relief. I, I, but mean, I think he could have handled. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Gruber? Yeah, Hans Gruber. In, Hans in the Gruber. movies, Hans Gruber. In the book, he's Tony Gruber. Right. Um, I don't think it would have been necessary. I the other thing is the chief of police mm-hmm. kind of looks like the mean boss from Perfect Strangers. Yes. So this could have been like a real TGIF situation Yeah. with the well, mean boss and being also, a mean boss. In the beginning, I thought the uh, guy playing the uh, security guard at the front desk was John Larroquette, but it oh, wasn't. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. But, it, but he, he was a dead ringer. It looked like him. I think that he probably got cast because he looked like John Larroquette. <laughs> I don't know if that happened a lot. 1988, 1987, the height of Night Court. The height of Night Court? They're like, we want... This guy that has two lines in the movie to look like John Larroquette. That's I think, probably enough to I get you a I think in the late 80s, a lot of guys just looked like John Larroquette. Maybe. You know they're bringing back Night Court? They're rebooting Night Court? What? How? With John Larroquette. Uh, but what's his name's dead? I know. You know what? There's, there's, He's the celebrity death that really haunts me. Um Harry, Judge Harry T. Stone, Harry yeah. Anderson. Harry the Hat. Yeah. Uh, just a really, uh, he just seemed like a good guy. Yeah, magician. And a yeah, judge. just like magicians. An amateur judge. <laughs> a nighttime judge. Are they bringing um, back Bull? I don't know. Bull, I think, uh, has only had negative things to say about uh, his wow. experience on night court well that's uh that's hard to hear richard mall is he gonna be back i don't think so wow well this night court uh reboot's shaping up to be a real misfire in my book also like when did night court end was it like the very early 90s 92. Yeah, you don't need to reboot that. Give John, ask John Larroquette if he's got other ideas. <laughs> I don't feel like the Night Court 
uh, brand carries that much anymore. Hmm. I think it's only it's only John Larroquette returning. Is, is he going to be the judge now? No. The updated take on Night Court, now in the early stages of, of development, will center around an unapologetic, op- optimistic judge named Abby Stone, mm-hmm. yet to be cast, who happens to be the daughter of the original series, Harry Stone, played mm-hmm. by the late Harry Anderson. Following in her father's footsteps, Abby will take the night shift, presiding over a Manhattan arraignment court where you never know what to expect. Melissa Rauch from the Big Bang Theory will executive produce the multicam project. Okay. Alongside writer Dan Rubin from The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I'm reading from Deadline, Tom. Okay. That's uh, where you get Hollywood news. Right. Lara Kett is also set to produce. Well, this very exciting news you've <laughs> you've shared with us, Tim, from me just saying that uh, a guy in the movie looked like John Larroquette. Trump gives clemency to Manafort, Stone, and Charles Kushner. Let that's me, different. That's just yeah. That's Times. not Hollywood news. Uh, mm. Let me ask you this: uh, What did you think of Alan Rickman's uh, performance? That was good. And now, I believe this is the first movie he ever appeared in. Is that true? Was yeah. he a stage actor? He was. Uh, he was. And then I think he was also like, uh, you know what? I was going to say, I think he was one of these guys that came into acting late in life. But I don't think that's the case. I think it was just he was uh, just a stage guy. And then, you know, finally uh, appeared in a movie. Yeah. Rickman's first cinematic role was the German terrorist Hans Gruber in Die Hard. Uh, and prior to that, he was on, he was in the West End and on Broadway. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's ninth build in the movie, but that's a little um, misleading because yes. I'm not sure if you stuck around for the credits, but they break out kind of cast and then the terrorists yeah and then the co- you know like um they 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 structure the credits in a weird way right he he should definitely be second or third build right um what did you think of uh the cokehead businessman that was hot for bonnie bedelia um that almost sold out john mcclain because he's an idiot uh, I thought that portrayal was great. I thought that guy did a real good job portraying like a shithead that you were like, ah, I kind of want to see this guy get killed now. Yeah, w- my w- only When he said Hans, is- booby. Yeah, an ad-libbed line, by the way. Oh, really? Well, it was great. Which makes me think like sometimes there's an actor so good at portraying such <laughs> a piece of shit. Yeah. That, like, I think they must be a piece of shit. No, but more often than not, it's completely opposite. And and I think it's because that person has has the radar for, like, what makes people like that so awful that then they can incorporate. Like, if you're that type of person naturally, you don't know that calling somebody booby is going to really make you seem terrible in this situation. Yeah, I mean, who's the guy in 
party down. Oh, um, uh, Ryan, the guy who plays Ryan. Yeah, Ryan Hanson plays or that's uh, Kyle. Name. Yeah, yeah. I was just assumed, like I was shocked when I saw him like in interview interview, and I was like, "This guy's like funny and like smart." And it's like, <laughs> right. I always just thought he was the emo band douchebag pretty boy that right. like it's like oh well we'll cast him for this because he fits the part. He's just so good at playing that part. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the guy that they cast it's, it's as that guy acting. in Die Hard. Yeah, but sometimes you know, like Bruce Willis is a douchebag who like <laughs> right. you know does act like this in well, real and, life. Well, and, like, we found out after the fact, like, oh, Ricky Gervais was funny because he's like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, the guy that, uh... What, Ellis? Was that his name? Yeah, Ellis. the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, that guy was, was really good. He's like... I think... I like to think that, like, he was not, like, Don Jr., but mm-hmm. he just knew, like, knew right. a guy like Don Jr. and, like, emulated... His style. And now you're talking about uh, uh, Don Notch Jr. when you say Don Knotts Don Notch Jr., really wacky dude. Um, yeah, I like that Ellis uh, literally did a, a line of cocaine or a bump of cocaine, I guess, like off of his uh, hand before he went in to negotiate with the terrorists. And was yeah. just like, you know, super confident, just like, look, this is what I do. Um, yeah, I mean, and... Ellis gets killed in the book too, uh, in a similar fashion. But uh, in the book, uh, Joe Leland's pretty sure that his daughter's banging Ellis, whereas mm. in the movie, uh, John McClane is pretty sure that Ellis wants to bang his wife. Right. Yeah. More than pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. He he knows based on the two you know two seconds into meeting him. Tom, here's a question I have for you. So the plot in the movie, Mm -hmm. the criminal plot. Yes. So they take over the building. Mm -hmm. They break into a safe. Mm -hmm. They open up the safe. Ode to Joy plays. Uh There's a bunch of art. There's a bunch of like uh, valuable stuff in there. Yeah, a bunch of bonds. Yeah, so they take a bunch of the bonds. Is that what Mm -hmm. those are, those papers? Yeah, yeah. And they... Tell the FBI, hey, we want helicopters to mm-hmm. land on the roof, um, and we will come. Uh, we will get on the helicopters and fly away to safety, mm-hmm. right? And they bring all the hostages onto the roof. And their yeah. plot was to, when the helicopters land, mm-hmm. they blow everybody to smithereens. Yes, and escape through the front door. No, they essentially es- they escape through the uh, ambulance that they had snuck oh, yeah. in through it, a yeah, truck. Yeah, but essentially yeah. the front door. Like they're right. at, they're they blow up the top of the building and they're at the bottom of the yeah. building. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the plot in the book? Is that what they no, were trying to achieve? They they changed it. Uh, they simplified the plot because in the book they are legitimately uh, like left wing radical terrorists that are um aren't necessarily after they're a little bit after the money but they're mostly after disrupting the company 
uh, which in the book is an oil company. And I feel like in the movie, they never really say exactly what mm-hmm. the company is. Yeah, they're just like a multinational company, which in the 80s was just like, yeah, that's probably bad. Yeah. Um, not like now. Now we know they're good. Um, yeah. But their plan in the book was that also they were... in the, the 80s and early 90s, they were like, Japan is really on our ass. we got to worry about <laughs> these guys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not a Japanese company in the book. <laughs> yeah. um, the plan in the book is that they're going to take, take all the hostages with them in helicopters to an airport where then a plane will take them away. Uh, and then they'll drop the hostages off somewhere while they go to their final destination. Uh, and the whole time they'll also have the building rigged to explode. So if anybody tries anything, they they can just blow the building. Right. Uh, and I I think part of that change too, was like in the late seventies, there were so many, uh, like hijackings and stuff, but that went, fine that like nobody got hurt nobody got killed um i remember because i just watched a thing about um db cooper Mm -hmm. uh and in that they were talking about how like there was a like a joke about when planes would get hijacked that the passengers would be like oh we got like a free trip to cuba And, you know, they would get off the plane in Cuba and, like, buy cigars and souvenirs and then get back on the plane and go to their final destination. And it was like, oh, that was, like, a minor inconvenience, but that was fun. Like we I were... watched that same D.B. Cooper documentary, oh, okay. Tom, on HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, so it was just kind of a, like, yeah, we weren't afraid for our lives. And I think in the 70s, it was much more believable that, like, they would be able to do that. And I think by the time this movie came along... They played more into the like, no, nah, they'd rather kill half the hostages to get them. I mean, that was yeah. the case in the book, too. They they talk about the feds like not really caring about the hostages. They just care about taking out the terrorists. The feds in the movie thought they would kill 25% of the hostages and that was fine with them. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was a good joke one of them said, and I can't remember what it was. But I did like that uh, the FBI agents were Johnson and Johnson, and then that one- was my favorite <laughs> thing in the movie. And they uh, uh, they introduced themselves to uh, no relation, and <laughs> yeah. then he calls later on, like twenty minutes later, and there's like, "There's Officer Johnson." No, not that one. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's what. Uh, after I watched with my girlfriend, we were talking about uh, how there's like a lot of really good humor in this movie. Did you also notice at one point when the hostages are like running that one of them like runs into a plant and goes, ow, (laughs) (laughs) like runs into like a plant that's like spiky (laughs) and like obviously got hurt. And it seems like it might have been an outtake that they were just like, now put that in. It's funny. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, I like that. There's there's little bits of humor throughout this. Yeah. Which is not something that is in, like, the commandos of the day. Uh, no. I mean, there are some amazing one-liners in commando. But that's different. That, yeah. That's different from actual, like, one-liners in action movies are meant to make the protagonist look cool. Right. They're not meant to make the audience laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this, there's, there's uh, 
There's no. That's an absurd. That's like a vaudeville joke that both of the guys' <laughs> last names are Johnson. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, Tom, there's not much more to say about this movie. Um, it's good. Um, it, we we both like how. Um, the media is portrayed for the blood-sucking weasels that they are. Well, and they bring uh, the guy who played Walter Peck in Ghostbusters, the he- the EPA officer trying to shut down the Ghostbusters, uh, a very dangerous uh, uh, setup in uh, in the firehouse there. Uh, he's the guy who plays uh, uh, the, the blood-sucking reporter that gets uh, yeah. uh, punched in the face by... John Bonnie McClane's Bedelia. wife by yeah. Bonnie Bedelia. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin's uh, aunt. Um, William, William like, Atherton is the actor's name. I do like that there's this guy who plays the villain in 80s movies who he works for. One of his jobs is working for the EPA, and the <laughs> other one is a journalist trying to <laughs> uncover yeah. uh, malfeasance. And it's just like, hey, I'm going to play like a slimy guy in like um, really noble professions <laughs> right. to turn the American people against um, these professions. Yeah, I don't know if there's any other movie that portrays the EPA as the bad guys. <laughs> no. Uh, and I'm looking at this. I'm surprised to see that uh, 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 William Atherton's Thornburg character also appears in Die Hard 2. Hmm. And I I'm believe, gonna watch the rest of the Die Hard movies this weekend. I think I believe Die Hard Two takes place in Chicago. So and takes I didn't place a lot on an airplane. Tom. Yeah, and I didn't think any of the Die Hards really had any uh, any characters carry over except for John McClane. But I guess they at least had Thornburg. Hmm. So you're telling me Reginald Bill Johnson isn't in Die Hard Two? I don't believe he is. That, I feel like he's second build in the movie, or he's third build in the movie, mm-hmm. and that relationship is so nice. Yeah, but how are you gonna like shoehorn him into a different I don't know. situation? Who cares? <laughs> oh, he he is in the he is in the second. Oh, one. is he? All he's right, he's fourth build after oh. William Atherton. All right. Well, you know what? I definitely have not seen Die Harder. Die Hard 2, Die Harder in a very long time. So maybe I'm going to have to watch that one, too. Um, Yeah. We'll be back to talk about that next week. <laughs> no, you have to read a book. You can't just, hey, you can't just watch action movies. I'm never going to read a book again as long as I live. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people have met you didn't think you had read a book uh, right, once enough. in your life up. up until now. Oh, shut up, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a patron. Um, I hope you enjoyed. Hey, did you watch Die Hard for the first time, uh, in your life like I did? Even if it wasn't the first time. Um, why don't you leave in the comments, um, your letter grade? Um, I was between a B and a B plus. What what do you think? Well, I would, I would also be interested in people's thoughts about, uh, uh, how this lived up to their memories or their expectations of it. Yeah, but I don't want people to feel like they have to write a novel. Well, don't, you, you can they, write just one yeah, letter and a You can write a letter, too. Don't don't feel obligated to write an essay about yeah. it. But uh, it's on HBO Tom, Max. I try to make these things, you know, drive up engagement with 
with some that doesn't some... do anything on Patreon. It makes me feel nice when people comment. Yeah, but I'm just saying, say I'd something. Like feedback. I'd like say criticism. something worthwhile. I don't. I don't. You don't. A. You don't want criticism. I do want criticism. I want criticism Our... of you. <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe leave more than just a single solitary letter. Nah, just leave a letter grade. It's all quantity over quality for you. No, it's just that well, I don't want to fucking make people uh, oh sign into Patreon well, and, you know and what? You write cannot, a fucking novel so it, Tom can read it. No, if that's just, too hard. You cannot do anything. You can just sit on your ass. Yeah, I'd rather than I want to know the letter grade. I'm trying to make things easy for people. Jesus uh, Christ. I'm, uh, well, I'm sorry. I'm trying to push people to be their best selves. Yeah, when they're paying you. Yeah. I'm a coach. I'm a life coach to a lot of these people. Tom, you and I both make $47,000 a month from this thing. <laughs> the least you can do is try not to have people do extra work. That's not true. And and you're just going to start rumors. There are already people that think we make like, a, like we we're both living on yachts through this thing. We live in shitholes <laughs> with people we hate. <laughs> we both live with our significant others, Tim. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I had no idea there were these kinds of troubles at home. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, look out for a uh, uh, survey. What is yeah, it? A uh, poll. poll. A new poll. Yeah, for the next thing. Um, sound off in the comments. Uh, we love you very much. See you next Happy time. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Yes, all the above. Oh, wait. Hold on. Okay. Now that I've seen this movie... Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's like I think it's a dumb argument, but like the movie takes place on Christmas Eve. There's Christmas music throughout, mm-hmm. and people acknowledge they're always saying "Merry Christmas" and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's a it's a Christmas movie, and if you don't think it's a Christmas movie, then it's just like we all have def- different definitions of what a Christmas movie is. But like, this is a movie that takes place at Christmas. Well, but what is your feeling about people who say it's their favorite Christmas movie? Has that well, changed just, at all? That just makes somebody very interesting. <laughs> well, but that's what I'm saying. That's always been your uh, criticism, that people say that because they think that uh, makes them very interesting. But now that you've seen it, do you understand? Are you like, you know what? I think some people genuinely, they, they don't care if that makes them sound I mean, interesting or you're, not. You're making it seem like I have a beef with people that I don't have a beef with. You No, um, you absolutely do. I'm sure people could find clips. You just no, said. I don't, I don't like the people that are like, uh, my favorite Christmas movie is a little unconventional. You might not think of it as a Christmas movie. Mm, but I heard. But I'm saying now you've seen it, so maybe it's not so unconventional to you. Maybe you see. No, no, it's like, fine. If somebody says it's a Christmas movie and it's their favorite Christmas movie, that's fine. But if somebody does it with that attitude of like, I'm a little stinker, and right. this isn't a movie that you think is a Christmas movie, but technically it is. It's like, all right, cool, shut up. What if I start like at parties and stuff once we can go to parties again? And somebody asked me what my favorite Christmas movie, if I'm like, oh, mm, yeah, this is a little off the beaten path, and uh, you might think me unconventional, but uh, it's a little movie called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. See you next time.